be simply me, no matter what, nothing else matters. The podcast for personal inspiration, being you again and we much more, simply you, no matter what, nothing else matters. For the last decade, Elliot K. has have worked with leaders and managers, business owners, MDs, CEOs, investors, and entrepreneurs to help them to hone their messaging, perfecting their stories, and win more business. Elliot is a two-time best-selling author, and his last book, Speak, Influence, Sell, focused on winning their hearts and minds of your ideal clients. Hello again, back to my podcast, Be Simply Me, today with one of my mentors, Elliot Kay. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Guten Tag. Yes, because you are in the UK. That is correct. I am in the UK. I'm in a place called Devon, which is right by the sea, and it's very beautiful. So, yes, indeed. I have to admit, I have no idea where it is, but I'm pretty sure it's like the same with my, when I will say where <laughs> where I am in the village in Austria, no one Probably would know. Not. No one Probably would know. Probably not. It's true. I, it's so interesting. The first time I met you was like, I think five years ago at Clinton. Yeah, that uh, was a long time ago. Yes, yeah. long time ago. And we didn't, we didn't, I am. I think as last year due to COVID, we had way much more contact again. And now I'm so blessed being in your academy and learning mm. so much about uh, speaking because you are my speaking mentor hero. Because Thank you. Bringing, bringing out an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you're my hero. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm anyone's hero. Everyone should be their own hero, right? Yes, but, if but anything, still. I am at service to people like you. So yes, thank you though. And bringing me out and, and just bring out all my stuff and everything else. But, and this is so interesting with you, you had a way much different story. And this this what I want to talk today because my podcast is about Be Simply Me and where is your Be Simply Me aha moment. Mm -hmm. So let's get on your story, Elliot. Let's do it. Where do we start? Which part of my story? Oh, since childhood. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I think the life is life is a series of ahas, isn't it? I think as you go along life and you're faced with various situations, various dilemmas, various mishaps, good and bad, you have a series of aha moments. And for me, a big aha moment actually occurred when I was around 16. And... Um, you know, I'd found out my dad was an alcoholic and I, we, we never really got on till that point. And I used to say he's dead. You know, he wasn't physically dead, but he was dead to me. And I suppose the, the first kind of memorable aha moment was I was listening to a Pink Floyd song, Wish You Were Here. And I don't know what about that song, you know, I mean, I can remember the line that got me thinking about it, but, you know, the line of, you know, we're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year, running over the same old ground. Have you found that same old, you know, that that was kind of like the core, the, 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 the verse that really got me. And I was like, do you know what? I need to get to know who my dad is. 
you know, one day I'm going to bury him. I need to, I need to find out who he is. And I did. I reached out to him. I said, look, I'm, I'm ready to have a relationship with you now. I'm, I'm ready to rebuild. I'm ready to move forward. And so that, I guess that's one of my first aha moments that we can, I can distinctly go up, which changed the course of, uh, our relationship changed because of my life. I went and lived with him for a while before he went into treatment. And, um, you know, we, 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 he's obviously still around now. We, he's involved in my kid's life now. And uh, that's, a, that's an aha moment. That's uh, one of those moments in life. And that's what was my next question, because you have two wonderful children. And how... How is it for you now because of your life story with an alcoholic dad seeing it in or how does it influence your uh, child education? Well, obviously, I give them uh, lots to drink every day, you know. Milk, water, tea. <laughs> no, wine, vodka, gin. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, I guess I work very hard to be the best version of myself. And I am obviously partly driven not to be like my dad, which I know is moving away energy, it's moving away values. But um, still, I'm very, very driven not to be him, his life, as much as I love him and we have a good relationship now. So when it comes to the kids, if I catch myself or I find myself reacting like he would have reacted or behaving the way he would have behaved by the way you know from the age of six I didn't live with my dad so it's not mm -hmm. a case of you know I, I particularly knew or had a lot of that embedded in me but then saying that by the age of six it's pretty much ingrained in you so so the way it influences my children is is for me to be the best version of me to really always be the best dad I can be um for good or for bad uh, so I'm really aware of how I react. I'm aware of my patients. I'm aware of how I speak to them. I'm aware of consequence. I'm aware of doing my best to lead by example. You know, I'm not perfect. I mean, I said to my mum last week, you know, I'm perfectly imperfect, you know. And that's, <laughs> that's how I see it. So when it comes to my children, you know, I, I, wanna, I want them to have the life I never had, to, to sound like a cliche, right? Um, I want them to have doors that are open that were never open to me. I, I never want them to experience the lack of money that I used to experience, the lack of food, or, you know, the answer of, can we have this? No. Why? Because we don't have the money. Why? Well, because my dad drank a lot of the money away. Or, you know, my mum brought us up, but she also lived, I mean, she was a very hard worker, but didn't have a lot of money. So those are the ways, that's the ways it influenced me. I mean, I do drink, I don't drink a lot. You know, enjoy a good glass of wine, a good beer, a good something. So I'm not anti, uh, and I'm not anti when people I can see them going down the road of becoming alcoholics. You know, I'm not like, oh, you know, you're such a bad person, you're becoming alcoholic. And it's like, when they're ready, I'll support them. You know, I, I don't discount people out of my life. Any addiction, by the way, drugs, mm, alcohol. Yes. Um, so that's how it's influenced me in that way. And behind every addiction, there's always a story. Yeah. And yeah. something behind what actually was the, the trigger that they get this way, not another way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think for my dad, I mean, I, I, I haven't explored this in great depth. I think it was a lack of warmth from his 
parents i feel that his dad was a very you know closed off british guy and mm -hmm. my grandmother his wife wasn't far off it you know i think my brother felt very lonely in his childhood mm -hmm. um he felt very isolated very different he's a very clever man but equally very stupid you know i always wonder how someone so clever can be so dumb with love of course you know i just don't get how he can be so dumb because you know knowledge and intelligence is really high but common life skills very very low <laughs> you know um so i think for him it was a, a real feel of disconnection and loneliness and uh, you can all you want and um, he has this little sister and i feel she got a lot of the attention and the way he would do it is by drinking and getting drunk i mean he, he studied while he was 14 he you know my dad's that typical old school londoner that knows london by the pubs that used to be there which is very typical of you know native board londoners they would be oh yeah there's that pub there and there's that pub there. oh that's by that pub not anymore i mean he, his geography was great i mean he knows london so well but he would know what pub is where in mm. what area and that's kind of like typifies my dad at the okay time. okay Let, let's change a little bit the topic um because you said something about abuse as well and you mentioned it once And for me, it's it's uh, as I'm working with many many people in this in this field and supporting them and nurturing them and all the things. What what was if you want to talk about what what was the reason? What was which time? Which age? And what was the turning afterwards? Yeah, no, I don't mind talking about it. It's in my book, right? So it's not like a a secret. So there were two key instances when it comes to that. So when I was 12, I was uh, walking home. I had one of those. Do you remember the? It wasn't the. It was it the eighties. When I was twelve, so I was eighty-eight, right? So, you know those kind of frilly vests which you could see through. Mm -hmm. You know the ones I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was wearing one of those blue. I remember this. I was wearing blue shorts. I was wearing blue vest like that, and I had my inhaler because that those particular shorts didn't have a pocket, so I had an inhaler. And I used to slot it so it kind of like it was tight enough to hold the inhaler i just remember this guy he's like hey you me yeah come here one of those it's like huh do you like women it's like yeah of course i like women i'm 12 year old so oh really he goes you know what i love women you know there isn't a day i can't that doesn't go by without me screwing a woman would you like to screw a woman so of course i'm 12 i'm naive i'm whatever like yeah and he starts telling me all these stories and i've got this one i've got this one oh wow and i'm like wow wow that's amazing oh my god that's so cool I mean, he goes you know i've got a woman waiting for you right now do you want do you want to come with me and we'll screw her it's like really like, yeah. anyway so foolishly i follow him and you know it's one of those where you follow him and i can remember you kind of go up an alleyway and i'm thinking cool because you know one of those things and then as you're going up the stairs it's you know it's becoming very apparent that where i'm going isn't even finished building so the first couple of floors were but then the top wasn't he goes yeah she's just up here on a mattress and she's waiting I'm like, oh wow cool you know i'm still believing yeah and then basically what happens is he pins me to a, a wall and it's very strange and he, he proceeded to do what he did and 
what was really interesting on one sense that while this is going on, all I'm thinking is don't get hard. I'm like, don't get hard, don't get hard. That's what's going through my head. Don't don't get don't get hard. Because a part of me is going, if I get hard, it means I'm enjoying it. And I'm 12. Mm. So I have mm. some awareness of what an erection is. And then if, I, if I'm if i getting hard, I'm clearly going to give him the satisfaction of, right, so that's what's going on in my head. Don't get hard. Don't. <clears throat> and then instinctively I go, you know my mum's going to be looking for me, right? And he just jumps up and runs away. And he, and he But then as he's running out, he goes... Meet me tomorrow at five and I'll bring a woman for you. Right? So he's still carrying on the narrative. So I'm like obviously feeling quite dirty, disgusted, a bit stupid. I know what's gone on was wrong. I wasn't quite aware. Like I didn't know that that was rape or, you know, sexual abuse. But I knew it wasn't something I enjoyed. So I go home and I run a bath. Before I get in the bath, I pour aftershave on my bit to disinfect it. Because that's what I associated to disinfectant. I have a bath, I get out the bath, I pour more aftershave on it, and then I never say anything about it to anyone. Not never. That's not true. At that point. Here's the thing. I go back the next day, right? I grab a bike from my friend. It's very strange, right? And I ride to where we met. My heart is pumping, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I'm hoping he won't show up. <clears throat> and I guess because a part of me was hoping he was telling the truth, that I went through that for something, that in the end of it, it's a reward. I mean, the way he lured me, he said, I need to see your tickle tackle because I need to know how big you are. That's kind of how I ended up where I ended up. So anyway, I waited five minutes and then I just cycled off. I, obviously never to see the guy again, stuff like that. So I buried that. I didn't say anything to anyone about what happened. And then when I was 18, I was working at a burger establishment in London. And the managers were like, you know, these big Nigerian guys. And they're very like, we're we men. And one of them just grabbed my knob and was like, are you a man or a mouse? Right. Jokingly, it's kind of like being a bloke, you know, it's all banter, I guess. And that just triggered it. That was like, I went home and I was angry, grabbing my teeth. I couldn't sleep. I was really, and for days after that, I was angry. I mean, I can't, anger isn't the word, raging. I was like, people were getting out of my way. If I'd look at them, I was at the time smoking loads. I was off with everybody. And it took me a few days to really go, oh, that's why. You know, that it kind of triggered it for me. And that's when I kind of turned to, I told my mum what happened and my mum's husband at the time. And that's after that I started, to, I sought some counselling for it and, to, you know, start talk about it. And, um, you know, it took a few more years post that. I think for many years I was very, 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 uh, what's the word? very held back I was very closed off definitely sexually you know I saw sex more as a you know a triumph uh, a thing a performance versus an intimate act of love I, I was very 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 closed off 
to, to true intimate relationships. <clears throat> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's my experience with that. It's so, um, because I'm working with a lot of people around this topic and uh, more women than the men. And do you ever have the feeling um, that you truly can go back into intimacy? Yeah, of course. I have yeah. now. 100% yes. with my wife um, and I can talk about it without feeling charged you know I'm not I don't I don't now after this interview need hours or days to recover from discussing it I used to do, talk about it very openly on stage when I used to do my power to succeed it's in my book mm -hmm. so whenever anyone asks me about it I don't have an issue talking about yeah. it uh, I, I feel no shame I feel no guilt or I, I don't beat myself up for it anymore I uh, you know I did what I did at the time because I acted with what I knew um, you know the, the tough question you know if I saw that guy today could I could I come from forgiveness I don't know is the honest answer I like to think I could because I don't want to empower him anymore to have any hold no. of me which he doesn't he doesn't have any hold which is why I can tell the story from a place of strength. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and maybe also, and this was this was actually a topic from from the last time, and also in, uh, encourage others talking about, because yeah. many many people um reliving every single moment what actually happened to them, and they they never get you know further on and and take counseling or whatever that it makes in a uh, that it makes a change in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's people. Yeah, if I can encourage anybody to talk to mm -hmm. anybody about it, um, I I want to ask, um, I I want to ask you, because there are so many times uh, the topic out there. What is a man today? And what it's is the same a man today? Yes. How how would you how would you define uh, manhood today? Because if you see out there, men are not allowed to be men anymore. Um, sometimes you you explain now some stereotypes and they're still out there <laughs> um, yeah. unfortunately but when is a man truly a man I think that's a very interesting question I think it's a very hard question because it's all subjective right I can only give you my opinion I, and beautiful and, it, and I don't believe it's fact right mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's so many facets that go into the makeup of, of man Right, there's your cultural facet, religious factors, your upbringing, the environment, the educational facet. Um, your DNA will influence that, right? Your mindset will influence that. Do I think that a lot of men are lost uh, in today's society? I do think that. I think Generation X and, you know, even upwards, if you think, you know, again, if you talk to my dad, he's 78. He's lost in this technology world. So let's assume there's a big part of his generation that just are lost in the technology and you start working backwards, right? I think Generation X, because I'm Generation X, right? We're not quite millennials and we're not quite the next generation. We're, we're really in the middle and because we saw everything from the beginning, the beginning of the internet, the beginning of technology, beginning of phones, and we kind of evolved with it. I think what happened is, you know, the, the evolution of societal societal consciousness, the, the growth of the, the female empowerment and the change in the paradigm of who you need to be as a man. I feel a lot of men are lost. The, the, the role in society to be a provider, to, to, to be the hunter. 
which now can be welcomed and not, but you have to know how to hunt. You have to hunt with sensitivity now. You have to hunt with a little bit of femininity. You can't be the hunter, although some places still have that. I think because of that, it can be hard to know what is expected of us as the man, because it's changing a lot. Again, this is just my opinion. So to me, a man's man, to me, a real man, a man who is there, and this is just my opinion for reference. To me, a man's man is someone who's loyal, mm -hmm. is loyal to their family, is there for their family, that truly wants to protect their family. And that doesn't necessarily mean getting into fights, it actually means moving them away from dangerous situations. It's someone that understands compassion and empathy. It's someone that allows themselves to have the masculine, the masculinity that they need, but not overpowering with a need to prove themselves. I'm the man. If you're the man, the last thing you need to do is prove that you're the man, right? Because you are the man, and it's as simple as that. Now, I obviously I'm not a very big, muscly. You know, I'm not particularly tall. I'm kind of average all round. So for me, I've always kind of always lost out, been in competition with those good looking, tall, handsome guys. But I've never felt that I needed to be anyone besides me. I, I'm not going to prove myself to the world for the sake of proving myself to the world. And I think a lot of men feel like they have to because that's what men do, right? You go to the pub or you go here, you know, everyone, man, who, who's, the, who's the more manly? And that's the very tribalistic thing to do. But that, that kind of acceptance of it isn't as far-fetching as it was. So even in a, like, a, a, let's say, eight or ten men get together, now what's going to happen is there's going to be two or three of them that won't be okay with that testosteroneized masculinity that they'll get called up on it and then it's like the whole role of you as a man is being like what are you a man or not no i am a man but i'm a man that is comfortable with this and i'm a man that's comfortable with this and i'm a man that puts moisturizer on and i'm a man that does this because the role of the man had to evolve otherwise get left behind so to me to dial back to your question a man's man is someone's loyal someone that's has a compassion and empathy, understands masculinity, isn't, knows when to show it, understands strength. But it's the ability to be present, be strong without yelling, without shouting, and definitely without fighting. I mean, I've been through my fair share of fights when I was young, knife fights and all that. Didn't prove anything, really. That's my answer. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What was your biggest obstacle you challenged to overcome? What was my Or... biggest obstacle? Yes. I don't know if I, if I can I can think of one. Um, I think, you know, a bit like life is a series of aha, life is a series of obstacles. I, I, I don't know if I have the one. Um, Because, you know, year in, year out, you're, you're kind of chucked <laughs> various obstacles to overcome. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's been many, I guess. I, I've... What was the one who is leading you, the person who are today? Again, can you, can you 
define that as one? I think no, it's, it's probably there are a... many, many small ones or well, one big one. I, I can't, you know, when you say one big one, I mean, I guess in a way I'm quite blessed that I don't have that. You know, like I almost died like you had. And boom, now I'm alive. Um, you know, I, I, I learned to deal. I think you learned to deal. You know, I mean, I've learned to. Uh, I dealt with my dad's alcoholism. I dealt with the sexual abuse. You know, I, I dealt with. <clears throat> I've, I've almost been. Well, I have been bankrupt, you know, and I've rebuilt. Um, I've lost the woman of my dreams and then found the actual woman of my dreams. So, you know, and, and she dumped me for a billionaire. That wasn't easy. Um, I've been at the place where you feel like you've lost everything. Um, and But, you know, I had my health. So I didn't lose everything. I think if you lose your health, you lose everything. Right. Because if the engine isn't running, you're not going anywhere. So oh, I, can't, I can't really think of the one, right? Um, You know, I've had depression for months and I've overcome that. So mental health issues. I think that was probably a, a key defining time in my life because it changed the business I ran. Again, it made me dig deep into spirituality and, and really kind of raise my vibration and, and a lot more. Mm -hmm. So that, I guess, is a key obstacle, you know, seven months of depression and um, coming out of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a big obstacle I ever came. But I didn't do it alone. I did it through guidance of a spiritual teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's always good to have someone or others or many who is supporting and nurturing you. Yes. Mm -hmm. You are a speaker. You Correct. are um, actually a bestseller author. Not only twice. one, I think twice, yes. You have created a couple of businesses what was the reason? I mean, I'm an introvert person. Uh, speaking is not one of my favorite. <laughs> what was your choice becoming a speaker? I, it's quite simple, really. I mean, I realized I can impact people a lot quicker and I can reach people a lot quicker. So, you know, before I was a speaker, I was a professional dancer, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of always had that drive to be on stage. Um. So when I saw some guy standing on stage, you know, in front of 5,000 people, I was like, you know what, I can do that. And the reason behind it is because I knew I could spread my message quicker. I could get out there, I can impact quicker. That's really what's behind. It's not about, let me get my fee. I mean, yes, I get paid to speak. And I sell when I speak and I make decent money, right? Um, but it was really about getting my message out there, using my voice for good, spreading the word, um, having an impact. That's what really drove me to speaking. <laughs> what was, what was, because um, uh, you were a professional dancer. Mm -hmm. What was the reason that you became a professional dancer? So when I was, how old was I? 17, 18. So, you know, I, I did, um, no, let's start back a bit. When I was at school, I think 15, I, I did a Shakespeare play. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> Not a very big part. I was a tiny, tiny part because I was a terrible actor. Right? Let alone, I couldn't read. I'm dyslexic, so to learn Shakespeare was a nightmare anyway. 
But then I was like, oh my God, I love being on stage. So then I ended up doing Grease, the musical. Had a fairly big <laughs> part. But again, I couldn't sing. I couldn't. So I had a, one of those parts where you're on stage a lot, but you don't do a lot. <clears throat> no, actually, that's not true. I did a lot. I danced a lot. I spoke a lot. I just didn't sing a great deal. And um, then after that, do you know what? I'll do performing arts. So I went to college. I did performing arts. And in my year was a guy from S Club 7. And the year above me was one of the Spice Girls, you know. So I then wanted to carry on and be, you know, do dance, drama and singing. I wanted to be a musical actor because you do all three. I auditioned for drama school. No one would accept me or if they accepted me, I couldn't afford it anyway. So it doesn't really matter. So I went to university and at university, I started to really dive into dance. I just loved it. I could feel like I could really express myself and. And then I started to read about Rudolf Nureyev, who's a male dancer, uh, who revolutionized pretty much the ballet scene. And I was so inspired by him. I was like, you know what? That's it. I am pursuing dance. I am going after dance. So I left my course after two years, auditioned for dance school and got in to both of the ones I auditioned for <clears throat> and um, chose, obviously, the one in Leeds, Northern School of Contemporary Dance. Again, I talk about this in both my books. And um, that's how I ended up in dance. And then for three years, I fought my way to to becoming a dancer. I had to work every weekend. I had to work every night. I did get a scholarship for two years. Um, but even then, I had to pay my own rent, you know, pay my own food. Uh, obviously, I, I didn't have, you know, I didn't get a grant, you know, in that way. And uh, then I became a dancer and I danced for five years and then I got injured. And that's kind of what started me on this path. Ah, okay. So it was because of an injury. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then after that, I was like, what do I do with my life? So I, I pottered around a bit. And then I found myself um, in training. And then from training, I found myself in coaching. And coaching led me to speaking. And here we are. Cool. And it's interesting because I was uh, remembering the first time when we met, you were totally different. You were the person with the hat. The coach with the hat. Yeah, that yes. was my first brand as, as when I ran a coaching business. That's right. The coach. A lot of people still remember the coach with the hat. Yes, I still remember because you only were wearing because you're always wearing a hat. Yeah. Even yeah. when thought out there, you had the hat on, and I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it's the same when you. It's it's the same with me when I'm I begin with the speaking and all the thing. This is a truly a journey. A truly a journey for yourself, finding yourself, your core message. And you also have the hashtag uh, used the ways for good. Yeah. What is, is there a story behind it? No, it's just like a big ethos at Speaker Express, you know, that we want to work with people that use their voice for good. So we always kind of like hashtag use your voice for good. There's no, no big story, just more the kind of people we want to work with who are attracted to that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I use it because I like it. It's very inspirational and I'll just like it. Yeah, that's what we want to do. We want to help people to use their voice for good. So my role is to really get people to step into the limelight to use their voice for good. <laughs> There is one, one last question. When you would have an uh, advice for a teenager, what would it be? If I had for teen my teenager today? No, um, an advice for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For teens. For, for What teens would be, today. yes, yes. So, 
you know, there's several things. I mean, obviously, I think number one is don't compromise who you are mm. to fit in, right? You know, even if right now you feel like, because I went through years of teenage when I didn't feel like I fit in. In fact, I didn't feel like I fit in for years and years, and I still don't really fit in, and that's okay. Like, the world, the, the world changes is by misfits, right? Nerds and misfits change the world. So it might not feel like it now, but persevere. Stick to who you are. Be who you are and be proud of who you are. The other thing is I, I would say that, you know, if I could have developed more of a wealth mindset, a saver's mindset and understood money younger, then I think I would have been a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um and I know the, the temptation when you're young is go out and spend the money you make. But if you can just invest a little bit in developing more of a wealth mindset, wealth awareness. I really wish I started saving <clears throat> a lot younger, you know, when I was a teenager. I really do. Um, so that's the other advice I'd give teenagers is, you know, save a little bit. Don't, I get you want to spend and you want to spend, but just, just put a little bit aside. Understand really what money is. Besides, mm. it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of great stuff behind money, you know. And I wish I had more fun. So it just makes you have a lot of fun. I'm such a serious, like, teenager, a serious student, you know. Why don't I just mess about and just do stupid stuff? I just do serious and just enjoy life, right? Don't hurt people. Be moral. Keep it legal. But enjoy yourself, right? And that's what would be my advice for teenagers. It's beautiful. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you. Thank you very much for being at my podcast. Be simply me, no matter what, and nothing else matters. And take the advice from Elliot, because we don't have to fit in anything and anywhere for no one out there, but for you. Be simply you. Thank you very much. Bye. You simply are more than you think, but feel, see, hear, and know.